you are listening to Bonnets at Dawn, the literary podcast that usually pits the Bronte sisters against Jane Austen, but for the month of November, we are focusing all of our efforts onto Elizabeth Gaskell. So I guess that would make me your host, Hannah Chapman, Team Gaskell. And I'm your host, Lauren Burke, also Team Gaskell. Thank God Elizabeth Gaskell's good writer, huh? Yeah, can you imagine one of us being like, oh no, you you can be Team Gaskell and I'll be Team Anyone Else. Yeah, exactly. So um, we chose well. It's convenient. <laughs> yeah. It's convenient. It Thanks, is. Lizzie. Thanks, Lizzie. Thanks. Or Lily. I might refer to her as Lily, as uh, a lot of her friends and family did. So, so yeah. Do you feel like you fall into that friend and family camp? Yeah, yeah. I think she would like me. I think we'd get along. Okay. Um, I'm going to hold judgment until I see you in hell, Elizabeth Gaskell. <laughs> Guess we'll know then. So um, last week, I gave you guys just a little taste of the life of Elizabeth Gaskell. I'm going to continue that trend um, during the recap episodes. Just kind of dive into a few Lily facts, I guess. Um, sorry. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> We will get, you know, deeper in her life and have those discussions actually at Gaskell House uh, next month um, for more in-depth, you know, Lily facts. Discussions. Discussions. Stop saying Lily facts sounds like a pamphlet you get in your first box of sanitary napkins. (laughs) Oh, God. I love that you said sanitary napkins, too. I don't know. I've never called them that. Just now. just... I feel like the brand Lily would refer to them as sanitary napkins. <laughs> it does fictional... work. It really does work, actually. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Lily. Lily. Sanitary napkins. So you can be free to be you. Oh, be free <laughs> to be you. Yeah, I like it. It works. Yeah, thank you. Um, very briefly, I worked in advertising and uh, I worked on the Tampax campaign for a while. There, there we have it. There we have there it. There it is. Um, of course, the lead guy on that campaign uh, was a dude. So I was just like an underling. Oh. Like an underling. Yeah. If there's it, anyone you know, that knows more that's, about... That's how it often happens. Periods. Sadly. You won't find him. That guy was the number one period expert. He was. He really was. Uh, anyway, moving on. Lily facts. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the life of Elizabeth Gaskell. So um, I want to jump ahead. Last week we left off. um, She had just married William Gaskell. Um, I'm going to jump ahead a few years. Elizabeth and William have gotten busy. They have several children. Busy Lizzie. Busy Lizzie. (laughs) So (laughs) there is Marianne. There's Margaret Elizabeth, who they call Meta. Um, Okay. There's Florence Elizabeth. And I also like this, this like naming, you know, giving your daughter your middle name, like and all your daughters, yes. too, not just one. <laughs> um, there's Julia. And then there's also William. And they call him Willie. Now, when Willie Lily, Willie, <laughs> Willie Lily. <laughs> now, when Willie was nine months old, he contracted scarlet fever and he passed away. Uh, Elizabeth, yeah, became very deeply depressed. And um, to sort of help her with her grief, 
her husband, William, encouraged her to write a book. So um, she got started on her very first book, which was Mary Barton, A Tale of Manchester Life. Um, the book was... I have a copy of that next to me. Do you? Did you buy it the yeah. same time you got North and South? No, nice. I got it f- from a little plate. I just picked it up. It's got a really good picture of her in the front. Oh, nice. Very sad eyes. Yeah. I want to read it. Um, we probably won't do a recap uh, or like a read along, but um, I'm going to read it independently for sure. Um, so the book was published anonymously in 1848 and Elizabeth was paid a hundred pounds for it. Um, so this is the beginning of her career, hundred pounds at the end of her career per novel, she would command a thousand pounds. What? So nice big job. Get it. Get it, girl. Go get it. Um, it became a smash hit, which is great. And part of that was due to it being published anonymously, which really wasn't um, uncommon. But I, you know, it did generate a lot of buzz. Like, who wrote this? And like, you know, yeah. what kind of inside knowledge do they have? And who, you know, who's who's saying this? Um, and yeah, there was a lot of guessing games as to like who wrote it. And, uh, you know, Lily was even like, oh, yeah, who wrote it? This, have you guys heard about this book? It's really good. I'm here it's great. That's so sneaky. I know. Very sneaky of her. So um, Mary Barton is about a working class woman who is torn between two different men. One is in her own class and then another who is an industrialist son. Um, oh, it's, yeah, exactly. It's very similar to North and South in that it explores sort of, you know, the need for improved working conditions. It's about like the destructive effects of industrialization. Um, so, yeah, she's playing with the same same themes there. So I really like this quote. Um, it's from John Sunderland and it's on the British Library uh, website. And um, he's talking about Gaskell's tale of Manchester life. And he says that, you know, at the time, Manchester had to be regarded as one of the seven wonders of the modern world. It was the engine room of the Industrial Revolution. So that's a nice quote that applies to, you know, Mary Barton, but also, you know, North and South. And also, after reading that, it made me think, um, why didn't Gaskell set North and South in Manchester? Like, why make up Milton? And uh, mm-hmm. that'll be something that I think, you know, we should just explore later. So just keep that question in your mind. Okay. <sighs> Milton's not real. Milton's well, not real. Well, I, I actually have a theory on this. Okay, go ahead. Uh, well, it's not really a theory. I just, I was doing some light research about the strike mm-hmm. um, and trying to figure out what was actually going on mm-hmm. because I'll talk about it in my chapter kind of breakdown. But yeah, um the it's based on a real strike okay so this the strike that the workers are going through in north and south is based on a strike called the preston strike Mm -hmm. and it was about the rise of food costs and people not getting paid like kind of an inflated wage to match it and so people were starving and they demanded a 10 percent increase Okay. In their wages to match it. And so she was actually basing it on that. And I think if she was going to base it on anywhere, she would have based it on Preston. But she wasn't writing a historical account of the Preston strike. She was writing, she was using that as like a setting for this fictional story mm-hmm. with fictional characters. So 
the need to invent Milton perhaps would be because of that. This is, I don't know this. This is, this is just something I think, that I'm working out. That's a great, uh, that's a great thought too, because I believe, you know, uh, reviews to Mary Barton were very split. People were either like, I love this book. It's essential. Or they were like, this is trash. This person doesn't know what they're talking about. Like where are they getting their information? Yeah. Um. So I think, you know, it also, you're right. Like have, setting it in a fictional town gives her like that leeway to. Yeah. She so, can yeah. get, you know, stuff can be wrong. And like in, in North and South, they're asking for a 5% pay rise. And yeah. in the actual strike, they're asking for 10. So I good just there's little stuff. That's yeah, a good thought. Budget. Good thought. I like it. Um, Another good thought, if you want to do any homework, my housemate has just started playing um the Assassin's Creed set in industrial London. So get on that. Everyone's wearing a top hat. Nice. Nice. I feel like I'm very immersed. I was reading North and South and then looked up at the television and it was the Industrial Revolution, <laughs> as seen by an American video game company. So they were quite different. But um, yeah. Like it. Have a go. <laughs> it's been a while since I've played any Assassin's Creed. I've never played it. Oh. It's too complicated. Yeah, it is. It really is. It's kind of... I'm, ter- I'm terrible <laughs> at it. So, um, yeah, I, you know, Elizabeth Gaskell, it was soon found out that she was the writer of Mary Barton. And then she was, you know... She was like out and open with it and wrote the preface to the, I believe, the second edition of the book. And um, yeah, soon this sort of like new identity was born, which was the Mrs. Gaskell identity. She she had a very like maternal kind of like persona. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and we will talk about that more later on. But now we are going to talk about North and South because that's what we're here for, guys. That's why we're here. It's why I'm here. It's yeah, I it's true. Yeah. <laughs> so, chapter eleven is first impressions. Oh, Hannah, why is oh. first impressions important? <laughs> first impressions was the original title for Pride and Prejudice. Oh, nice. Before it got changed to Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> so, yeah. So far, so Austin, which should be a hashtag in this book because I actually think that the similarities are coming thick and fast in this ten chapters. I'm not the only person that noticed. The discussion has been lit up yes. with references to PMP characters. Yes, yes, it has. So, um, first impressions just uh, picks up right where chapter ten left off. Thornton has just left the house. Um, he was over there for tea last week, remember? And um, Mr. H just turns to Margaret and is basically chastising her for being rude to Thornton. And um, Margaret admits that she really admires Thornton and his story, but like she just can't handle like his pride and just his pride in Milton. She just can't get over being in Milton. She's not into it. And yeah, it's like Mrs. she just Hale, can't move past it. She really can't. And Mrs. Hale's all like, "I just don't like new money." <laughs> yeah, new money, new problems. Exactly. <laughs> Like, I like that she's just, like, she's so consistent in her snobbery. Like, it's just like, oh, you know what? Like, I just don't like new money. I don't know. <laughs> Screw that guy. So um, a few days later, we have a little bit of a, a shift in this chapter. Uh, Margaret runs into Bessie on the street. Remember Bessie? Yeah, Bates' daughter. Yeah. Higgins. Poor Bessie. And she's, you know, dying and sick and sad. And she guilt trips Margaret over not visiting. Like, hey, 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. She hasn't gone. She hasn't gone at this point. Margaret's just, you know, sort of a mess. She's like, oh, yeah, I, I, I meant to come over. I, like, totally didn't. I was still going to. <laughs> I've got stuff going on, Bessie. Stuff's Listen. going on. But she ends up, like, you know, taking Bessie home and uh, running into Bates. And, uh, you know, he's, he gives her some lip about, you know, saying that she was going to come over and then not coming over. It's a big thing. It's a big thing. If you say you're going to do something, guys, you should do it. Yeah, it's rude. It's really rude. Um, and then we kind of get into like, <sighs> these chapters with Bessie are hard for me. <laughs> We're going to talk about this a little bit later on in the episode. But man, it is like such a downer. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I, yeah, I I have a Bessie chapter yes, to summarize. Yes, you do. You've got a big Bessie chapter. it's just like, oh my gosh. I just felt my eyes glazing over a bit. <laughs> Well, you know, Bessie's sick. Like, it's not a good situation. Her mom's been gone a long time. She has this younger sister. So Bessie's 19, the same age as Margaret. And then the younger sister, I think, is like 17, maybe? Or 15, somewhere around there? Mary. Mary. And yeah, the mother's dead. And, you know, Bessie's dying. And she's a believer in God. And she's just really going to, she's going to bang on about the Bible. And Bates is going to bang on about how he is a non-believer. Yeah. So, yeah. So just setting that up. More on Bessie later. Um, Back home, you know, Mr. Hale tells Margaret and Mrs. Hale, um, you know, Thornton's mom is going to come over. So be warned. She's a little bit of a pill, but we, we just have to we have to swallow it. I love Thornton's mum. I'm into her. <laughs> Mrs. Thornton for life. She's so good. I love a strong woman, though. Yeah. So, yeah. Chapter 12, Morning Calls. So we go back to Thornton's house. And John is having a difficult time convincing his mother that he needs to go visit the Hale. Or she needs to go visit the Hales. Um, yeah, because she thinks she's above it. Yeah. She's like, who are they? They they are of no consequence. Yeah, like this guy whatsoever. works for you. <laughs> like you hire yeah. him to to like, you know, read to you. Uh, whatever these l- lessons are you're doing, which are so not even worth your time. Yeah. Like you should be focused on business. I don't even know what you're playing at here. But, you know, Thornton's trying to be a gentleman and he's uh, really got this bromance going on with Mr. Hale and he wants everyone to be tight. Yeah, he just wants everyone to get along. Yeah. Also, he sees that the Hales are slightly diminished in their circumstances as well. I think yeah. he's recognizing that. He is. And he's being kind. He wants them yeah. to, you know, to have some friends. Um, I love Fanny. Fanny's like my favorite character. <laughs> Fanny is so funny. She, in the adaptation, she is played by a woman from EastEnders. And- oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, and so I remember just watching it and being like, "This is my East Enders knowledge is like casting is like bad though." But I haven't watched it in a long time. But every time someone pops up, you're like, "Boy, done good, hello, <laughs> you've you've made it out of Albert Square." <laughs> well, I like especially love Fanny here because you know they're like trying to work out the horses. Like that's a whole big thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'll just take a cab. And he's like, don't take a cab. Hire some horses. Because they've got a carriage. They do. But she thinks it's too extravagant if they had their own horses. So they just, they're going to rent them. They rent them out. 
And yeah. uh, then it's like, well, you know, Fanny can come. Like, Fanny, you can visit Nurse as well. And Fanny's like, why don't you just pick Nurse up and drop her off here? Like, I'm fine. And she can, like, walk home yeah. as well. She's just like, yeah. <laughs> She's like, I'm fine here. And to be honest, like, that's such a Lauren response. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like, oh, I'm fine here. Why don't you just, like, just you can come by. And just, you know, I'll chill at my leisure. Um, and then, you know, Fanny is totally, like, dragged into going. So it's what it is. Uh, so I think that's Fanny's life. She, like, complains and then has to do the things she doesn't want to do anyway. Yeah, totally. I sympathize. Um, so then they do, like, a hard cut, too. And suddenly um, Mrs. Thornton and Fanny are at the Hales. And yes, it's great and awkward city because that's what, you know, Mrs. Thornton brings to every situation. And immediately, like the thing that like really struck me was how she walks in and she looks at like Margaret's embroidery. Like she's just embroidering something for um, for Edith's, present, Edith's baby. Yeah. 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 And she's just like, that is nonsense. That's fluff. But then she looks at what Mrs. Hale is doing, which is some double knitting. And she's like, that is substance. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like. Ooh, she, I mean, Mrs. Thornton really reminds me of my grandma. Mm-hmm. She's like, stuff has to have a purpose. Like, don't like you can make practical things beautiful, but there's no point in having something that's beautiful if it isn't practical. Right. But then look at Mrs. Thornton's house. She's a hypocrite. Yeah, she is. Her she- house is full of tats. <laughs> We're gonna talk about that. <laughs> and then, like, on the other end, uh, Mrs. Hale is kind of reevaluating the Thorntons a little bit when she sees that lace yeah. that Mrs. Thornton's wearing. And she's like, oh, this is an old English lace. Like, this is something that only, you know, people hand down. This is not made anymore. This is worth something. So she must come from something. Like, these people might be worth something, actually. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's interesting. It's like. Something like that is the sort of thing that immediately changes your mind. Yeah. About people, kind of, yeah. She's made assumptions about, like, who the Thornsons are, and this is challenging them. I don't think it's, like, it's not awful. Like, people do it all the time, but it's probably, like, not Mrs. Hale's best characteristic. It's true. Wow. Wow. How you've come around on Mrs. Hale. Well, you know, I'll get into it. Last week it was, She does a couple of good things. Well, I feel bad. You well, you know, you know what's coming, Lauren. <laughs> I know what's so. coming. It's true. Um, so another one of my favorite things about this like little visit um, is Fanny again. Just, I mean, just this is funny. a girl that is like a trap between two worlds. There's no real place for her. Like she's kind of been brought up a little bit like a lady, but not enough. But not enough. Yeah, and, I just imagine um, her in any other situation that isn't Milton. She's not going to fit in. She's not. She's not. And actually, like, this, like, a potential friendship between her and Margaret would make sense, I feel. Like, these two people are sort of, you know, they're just a little bit misplaced. Yeah. And I think they have, like, a lot to learn from each other. And I actually feel like they could work. Like a buddy, buddy movie. Yeah. Like, I would actually love to see a friendship between Margaret and Fanny. Um you know, fa- poor Fanny. She just wants to go to London. Her mother does not see the purpose of this. Frivolous. Which I thought was a bit shocking. I'd say, well, you know, I mean, I'm sure she just wants her to marry someone in Milton. But it's like, you know, get Fanny out there. 
get this get this gal hitched. She probably wants her to marry a um, so factory yeah. owner. She probably is just, yeah, just going to marry another factory owner. She's just going to be stuck in Milton, which is not what she wants. You, this girl wants to go to London or Alhambra. What is that? So it's a palace in Spain. And uh, the reason she probably, she said this, and I don't have my book in front of me, but um, there was a great note in the Norton's anthology that was like, there was a book that came out at that time. And she probably read that book and she wanted uh, to go. Okay. Yeah. Meaning she wanted to go to Spain. And um, yeah, I looked up uh, pictures of Alhambra. It's beautiful. <laughs> and oh. then I read a uh, TripAdvisor review and they gave it one star. And this person said, you know, it does look great. Taking pictures of it, awesome. But, you know, if you go there, it's disorganized. The tickets are too expensive to get inside. None of the staff speaks English. It's probably like a just a dumb American or something. <laughs> Expecting everyone everywhere <laughs> to speak English. Or a dumb English. English person. And, um, yeah, they're like, not worth it. Could have just looked at pictures on the internet. And I was like, you are the worst. I'm Was with it Fanny who wrote that? <laughs> I don't think so. I'm with Fanny here. Yeah, I think so. she would have. She'd like it. I think she'd like it. I want to be like Fanny. I want to go to. I want to go to London or the Alhambra. I want to go to the Alhambra now. Let's, Let's do it. Go. Let's do it. Let's do it. Do it for Fanny. Yeah. Um, chapter thirteen. I just like this title: "A Soft Breeze in a Sultry Place." Hello. So, um, as soon as the Thorntons leave, Mags just like runs out because she's got to go see Bessie again. Yeah, I did think that was really sweet because she's yeah. just like, yeah, I've got to go. They've made me feel bad, so I should probably go. Yeah. But also, I mean, this friendship, we're going to really, again, we're going to talk about it more. But like the friendship with Bessie troubles me a little bit because Margaret, I feel like she just does it because she has a position over Bessie. You know what I mean? Like she has this like old comfortable role where she's sort of like in charge or she's like in an elevated position. I think that's I think that's a very Victorian attitude, though. Like I was saying in the last episode, the Victorians were really big on the lower classes, like improving themselves. Yeah. And so where in I think previous society, the lower classes were kind of out of sight and out of mind. You have got this Victorian attitude of like really trying to get out there and and help people and like help them like lift themselves out of the situations that they're in yeah and so although although mags is in like this higher position than bessie is in i don't think that she would keep going i think she'd go like once or twice but i think the reason that she goes is because she thinks that the higgins are like a good solid family like they're they're worth they're worth knowing okay because, like, her first, in, like, she makes, she befriends Bessie's dad before she befriends Bessie. Yeah. Because he says, like, a kindly word to her and then they always smile at each other in the street. So I do think there is, like, some affection there as well. And also, you know, she, she'll go on to see just, like, that family standing in their community. So I think it's, like, an entry into a world that she's perhaps not understood in Helston because she's put herself in that position. This is... This is a good point. This is it's it's hard for me this friendship because I don't quite trust Margaret. It's hard for me because every time Bessie has a conversation with her, it's like five pages long, and it's I can't I don't understand what's happening. 
every time they talk, my heart sinks. Yeah, it's really, it's really bad. Um, there's just no relief in that household, you know? And, like, this is a great example when Margaret goes over there and um, she finally gets around to, like, like, I think Bessie even kind of says it twice. Like, she starts to talk about, like, what her, what's going on with her lungs, but Margaret's, like, not really paying attention. And then Bessie's, yeah. like, much more explicit about it by, like, like, hey, by the way, like, the mill, the cotton mill did this to me. Like, the fluff was in yeah. the air, got caught in my lungs, and, like, oh, this is why that, I am, now I'm dying. That bit about the old men who, because, like, you can get a fan that sucks all of the fluff out of yeah. the air which is better for the workers, which means they will live longer, but obviously it costs money. And then on top of that, some of the workers who've gotten used to consuming so much fluff just through breathing, they don't want the fan because they think they'll go hungry and yeah. they have to spend their money on more food. It's horrible. Like, it's such a vivid... Like, you really get a sense of the situation that these people are in, like, pillar to post. Yeah, totally. I mean... All credit to Elizabeth Gaskell, because like what is she is doing with this character is really like, yeah, bringing that alive and bringing that into like a middle class space for you to sort of, which I'm sure she's she's doing for her readers. I'm sure most of her readers yeah. are middle class and uh, they don't have, you know, firsthand experience with this with the situation and um, the character of Bessie. So that's why the, the Bessie visits are so hard to you're just like, oh, my God, yeah, what are we going to get now? <laughs> yeah, just. Yeah total despair and um also they talk a little bit about you know bessie's younger sister so one of the reasons why bessie went to go work in the cotton mill is because you know she had to help support her younger sister after her especially after her mother was gone and um she doesn't want her younger sister to going into the mill yeah go into the mill instead she wants her to like you know have her studies um but now it just she's kind of caught in this place of like, you know, that's probably not going to be possible. She's probably going to have to go seek work. And she does ask Margaret, like if there's anything she thinks, you know, Mary could do. And Mary is like, meanwhile, like (laughs) just like slopping around and like knocking over chairs and trying to bring everyone a cup of water. And just like, I mean, she's just no good at like household chores or anything like that. Yeah. And you know, which Bessie admits and she's like, yeah, like she didn't have a mother that could really bring her up. Like no one could really teach her these things. And yeah. um, of course, Mags is looking for a servant, but she is like, yeah, I don't think Mary would be good for it because Dixon's kind of old and she's, you know, really impatient. And I don't think like she's going to want to take her under her wing, which I really got mad about. I was like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I, I thought the story was going to go that. Uh, Mags would offer her the job. Yes. But I do totally get why Mags is also like, oh, I just can't. Like, charity can I, like, can it only go so far? I was about to say it can only go so far. But at the same time, like, would her sister be happy doing that work? Like, with Dixon shouting at her all the time? Also, Margaret is aware that her mother is ill. Like, is that going to exacerbate that situation? Like, there's a lot more... Like, you can't just blindly go in and just be like this girl needs a job i'll give her a job yeah no it's so true. i'd say credit to margaret for for kind of thinking it through she still might there's still like 40 more chapters it might happen but it might happen i just was like come Probably on won't. come on margaret that's definitely the situation that i would get myself into you just like hire her i just like hire her and then like yeah. you know 
then later on I'd figure out about <laughs> my mom and Dixon, this whole situation. It would just be a horrible mess that blew up in my face. But, you know, I was, I, I did get a little angry at Margaret. I was like, come on, give, give Matt Mary a, dry, a job. Give her a chance. Come on. Meanwhile, back home, Mrs. H is getting weaker and weaker. And uh, Mr. Hale is finally starting to show some concern for his wife. Finally. I know. God, just throw it in. He's like, oh, no, God, I'm... is she acting weird? I just now know. Finally starting to show some concern. He was concerned for his wife. He just had some stuff going on. Also, yeah. she's been lying to him. <laughs> she has. It's true. But come on, Mr. Hale. No. Come on. So, okay, chapter 14. You probably enjoyed uh, chapter 14. Yes, I did. <laughs> You're probably into that. Yes. I think originally it was titled The Meeting, um, which was a misprint in Household wor- Words in Dickens' journal. Okay. Um, There is really no meeting. I guess there's a meeting between Margaret and her mother. Um, but then, it, you know, when they did the next edition... Elizabeth Gaskell corrected it, and it's really the mutiny. Good. Which you love a good old-fashioned mutiny. Love a mutiny. So we finally get the lowdown on Fed- Frederick, the missing brother. Um, Frederick went out to sea, and basically he helped start a mutiny against a, a cruel captain. I reckon he started it, you know. You think he, he full-on started it? I think he was full-on the instigator. Oh, man. Well... Now he is wanted for treason and he is living in Spain. And uh, Mrs. Hale has just like found this moment with Margaret alone. And she's just like unloading all of this on her, which Margaret's relieved to finally know. And uh, Mrs. Hale's just like, I mean, just wildly upset. She just fears that she's never going to see her son again. And um, something that is really interesting about the mutiny thing. um, And I, kind of read this while reading around uh the general themes of the book is that frederick isn't in trouble because he's done something that affects him someone fell from the rigging and eventually died and it was the cruel treatment of the other crew members and like the rest of the crew that finally snaps fred Mm -hmm. and makes him act and so there is a parallel running between um fred's mutiny and then uh, Nicholas Higgins convincing everyone to join the union. Yeah. It's the same thing going on. It and is. And so then you've got Mr. Thornson is then put in the position of being like the cruel captain on the ship. And then you've got Mr. Hale who's mutinying against the church. Mm-hmm. So all of these things, all of these things tie in. And then Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Hale says that he did the right thing because it's, it's better that he uh, mutineered on behalf of his fellow sailors to do the right thing than it was to be listed as a loyal officer. Yeah, absolutely. So the Hales are acknowledging that doing that is better, but obviously it's it's just they're just seeing it in that circumstance, and it's yeah. the whole the whole book. And um, it's like the perfect time for it to happen too. Chapter fourteen. Yeah, because I think initially. When this chapter came up, I was like, God, it almost feels random. But when you put it in terms like that, you know, like we're going to compare this to this upcoming strike. And um, we've already had a little bit of time to deal with sort of Mr. Hale's um, 
you know, fight with the establishment. It just, it just feels like the right, like, I'm like, oh yes, this feels like the right time for this, this information bomb to sort of drop. Yeah. And um, there was one detail about Gaskell's life that I sort of withheld from everyone last week. And that was that um, Elizabeth Gaskell had a brother named John and he was her older brother. And he used to visit her a lot in Nutsford when she went away uh, with her aunt Hannah. Um, But he was also in the Navy. So um, after a while, you know, they didn't actually see each other so much. Yeah. And in 1827, he was lost at sea on a mission to India. Oh, no. That's really sad. Lizzie Gaskell, I know, also had a brother lost at sea. So, um, yeah, sadness. I think Austin was really lucky that she didn't lose. Yeah. um, Fred or... um, Oh, what's his name? Henry? No, Henry wasn't in the Navy. That's... Charles. Okay. Yeah, Charles. Charles was the youngest boy, wasn't he? Yeah, so they they both kind of went all the way through, but, you know, man, that must have happened all the time. So, chapter 15 is Masters and Men, and it starts off um, with Mr. Hale... Just like sort of laying down the law, like we got to be polite. We have to return Mrs. Thornton's visit. That is yeah, what is done. You've got, to, you've got to do it. You've got to go. You've got to do it. So Mrs. Hale, as we know, too ill to go. So it's up to Mags and Mr. H to go over to the big house. Mm-hmm. Um, when they finally get there, they get a little turned around, right? Like they can't find it. They're kind of like walking down this one street and Mags is like, all of yeah, these houses well, are too small to be They have to, to go his. to the actual factory, don't they? They Which do. I think they didn't realize that it would be there. It's true. Um, so yeah, they, uh, they get to Thornton's house and it's right next to the factory. And this is actually kind of an important thing to note because many um, factory owners, mill owners... They were actually commuting because of the, you know, invention of the railway. Yeah. They were, you know, working in the city, but they were actually commuting and living out in the suburbs in much more comfortable circumstances. But this is very important for Thornton's character, right? Like, he's going to live right next to his factory. Yeah, he's, he's always going to be, gonna be right at work. There. He's also a young man, too. Like, he doesn't have a big family. And, like, I think this this makes sense for his character. Definitely. So, um, it's a big house. They're kind of eyeing it. I think they say it's three times the size of their house. Yeah, it's massive. Point. It's massive. Mags is side eyeing all the furniture inside. All it, the descriptions of the furniture. So great. <laughs> it, yeah, it's just, it's it sounds hideous. And everything's like bagged up. Yes. Like covered in something. Yes. Because obviously they're trying like to a- keep the, the soot and the smoke and stuff off it from the factories. Yeah. Right? But it just like comes across as like a little bit tacky. It just reminds me of people that keep their sofas in the plastic. Yes, exactly. It's uh it's new money, new problems. That's what it Definitely. is. Definitely. That's exactly that what it is. is. Mrs. Hale would have been horrified. I also, actually it's wish not she comfortable. Gone. That's that's I thought was really important. It's got all of the things in there to make it seem nice and proper, but it isn't comfortable. Yes. Good point. Um so they make it there. Mrs. Thornton, totally off-put by, like, I mean, the fact that Mrs. Hale is not there, but just by everything. Like, Mrs. Thornton is just full on. She is one of those people that you cannot 
make small talk with. No. <laughs> like, everything means something. Yeah. And, she's, Just, and oh. she'll, like, question it as well. She doesn't, like, take it away and think about it there and then. She's like, well, what do you mean by that? Well, what do you mean by that? Why are you asking yeah. that? Why are you saying that? Yeah. yeah. You can't just say like, oh, it's a nice day out there. Oh, God, sunshine. When, oh. when Mags is like, oh, my mum's quite sick because she doesn't, she like manages to make it sound like she's not actually ill. And then Mrs. Thornton's just in her head like, oh, I see. She's a weak woman. <laughs> like, yeah. doesn't like her anymore. She's like, I thought she was cool because of her knitting, but actually she's rubbish. Yeah, exactly. So like an example, the small talk is... um. Mr. Hale just, you know, oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Thornton couldn't make our lesson the other night. Like, you know, hope he's feeling well. And Mrs. Thornton's just like, yeah, of course he's well. He's always well. He's perfect. Like, your lessons are bullshit. Yeah, like, don't say anything about my son. Don't you go supposing any hurt on Mr. Thornton. Yeah. Ugh. And like, it's just, it's rough. I mean, I know we all know where she's coming from. And we're going to talk about this a little bit later as well. But like... I mean, he's the just, perfect son. She just, there's no air to breathe. We no, need with Mrs. Thornton. And also in my head, like, I'm sure she was sitting down, but as I was reading it, I think because of how she comes across in her speech, in my head, I was just picturing her, like, she walks in, she never sits down. She just kind of stands over them, barks all of this stuff at yeah. them and leaves the room. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's how I would stage it. She wouldn't, she yeah. wouldn't sit. No. No, she's not sitting. Because also sitting too would like, I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think she'd be the person just would stand just to like sort of like keep you on edge. Like she she would not want you comfortable in her home. I'm sure that social social niceties mean that she is absolutely sitting in this scene. So like, don't get me wrong. But like maybe (laughs) she's slowly getting bigger and bigger and bigger until (laughs) the room isn't large enough to contain her. (laughs) I think that's the the perfect artistic interpretation of this scene. <laughs> um also like the best thing ever is like that she actually is kind of upfront with Margaret like you know what you made me nervous because I thought you were after my son and Margaret's like ha 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 no no, oh, no no what does that remind you of this whole scene what does that remind you of Lauren what 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 well it's just like when Lady Catherine de Berg turns up at Elizabeth Bennett's house oh and yes says Talk to me about Mr. Darcy. Do you think you're going to marry him? Like, this scene really was one of those moments where I was just like, I understand why people think that this is rimming on Pride and Prejudice. Okay, yeah. Because the to and fro is the same. It's, tell me, do you have any intentions on my son? No, I don't have any intentions on my son, but I'm not going to promise that I don't. And then she's like, oh, shit, maybe she does. (laughs) Like, Elizabeth Gaskell could have been writing a Pride and Prejudice fan fiction. In this yeah, moment. but it does go like, <sighs> but it is true to the character too, right? Like it's true to the situation and it's true to the character. I do think it's true to the situation and I do think it's true to the character. However, this and other things and like dialogue, like, I, I don't know. First I impressions, also, pride and prejudice. Yeah, I think it's scene, like a nod too, less of a like a fan fiction and more of like an homage or a nod because here it makes even more sense. Like it makes sense why Mrs. Hale or sorry, Mrs. Thornton is so fiercely protective of her son, you know, and of every, like, and I feel like John has done so much for his mother and for his sister. And 
now, you know, they're at a place of comfort. And she's like, how do I be a mother to you? Like, how do I protect you? Okay, well, here's an instance where I can protect you from from scheming women, you know, and I'm going to do my best to be like a bulldog for you, right? I just think, I think it's very convenient. Like, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about the homage as a rule. Like, I don't know about how I feel about stuff like Stranger Things. Like, is it an homage or are you... Are you just taking what someone else has written? But also, this is like a common situation, right? Like, this is not like something that is no specific right. only to Pride and Prejudice and specific only to that world. Like, this is a tale as old as old as time. Like, mothers not thinking that other women are good enough. For but their this sons. isn't the only thing that is relevant to Pride and Prejudice. This is one thing in a much wider oh, look, this is another thing. Oh, look, this is another thing. Oh, look, this is another thing. So I'm not taking this moment on its own and saying, oh, this is like Pride and Prejudice. I'm taking all of those instances and saying, yeah, there's definitely Pride and Prejudice in there. Like, I'd be really interested in having a conversation with, like, a literary expert to tell me that, like, this is not the case. Because as far as I can see, I guess like, there is so much... There is so much. There's a lot of little things, but like it doesn't strike me as much as I thought it would, to be honest. I, it's, it's striking me more than I thought it would. I didn't notice it when I watched the adaptation, and I'm noticing it a lot reading the book. So during this conversation, I think the, the strike comes up as well. I think this is like the first time that the strike really, between Mrs. Thornton and Margaret and Mr. Hale, right? Yeah, I don't have it in of, my notes, but all of my chapters are so strike heavy that I don't, I don't know where it first comes up between um, these guys. Definitely uh, later on that night, Thornton comes by, and he is just you know apologizing for missing their visit, and um, he also sort of brings the name of a good doctor just on the sly to Margaret. So they kind of have a moment, and mm-hmm. I like. That they sort of like speak with their eyes in this moment. Like, don't tell yeah. mom that I've asked yeah. for this. Like, and he kind of just like quietly slips her this information. And it's then cute. it's very cute. And I like that he sort of like knows something about her and her situation. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and it's unspoken. And then talk very, very quickly turns to the strike. And, um, Margaret wants to know just, like, why he can't just talk to his workers. Like, why can't you just explain to them that trade is not as strong as it was in previous years? You know, just, like, establish a corporate communications department. Just make sure everyone's on the same page. Just, like, really, just why can't everyone get along? And Thornton is all pride and just, like, I'm the boss. They need to respect me and my decisions. Like, just fuck off if you don't. Yeah. Yeah, you're either with me or you're against me. Yeah, like, well, the, it's so, very personal for him, isn't it? Like, this is this yeah. is his life, so. Yeah, like, you know, if you, I don't need to explain myself. Like, you should just trust me because I'm a good person and I've never really, I've never yeah. led you astray. I've never done you wrong. So, like, why would you question my integrity? Like, I don't need to explain myself. So, yeah, yeah you know, they get back into their, like, their sparring but um, before he leaves this time, like, she does give him a little smile. So there's not the, like, cheeky. handshake mishap that they had last time. No. 
She doesn't no, like but leave the him handshake, hanging. The handshake mishap is leading on to something. This really beautiful moment. So I love the handshake mishap even more now. Um, so, chapter 16, The Shadow of Death. Dr. Donaldson, who uh, is the doctor that Mr. Thornton has recommended to the Hales, who I will be calling Dr. D, or Doc D. He, Doc D. Doc D. He pops over uh, while Mr. Hale is out, and Dixon and Mrs. Hale just immediately shut themselves in Mrs. Hale's room. They do not want Margaret there at all. And so she's just kind of left listening to the little noises and exclamations and thumps. And she kind of gets herself all worked up. And then as he's leaving, she kind of looks at Dixon like, don't you try me? And then says to him, like, can you come into this other room and chat with me? And he does not want to tell her what's going on, but she knows it's bad. And then he says, well, your mother, you know, your mother has asked me to promise to not tell you. And she's like, well, you're a doctor and you're a sensible man. So I know you're not stupid enough to do that. Like, just tell me what's Mm -hmm. going on. And then we actually, we don't get like a diagnosis, which is quite common for, you know, medical conditions and stuff went as well. Um, Documented, like as much research hadn't been done. So people were often dying of like vague illnesses. Unlike today. So today you'd be like, oh, you have this strain of this disease whereas then it was just he spoke two short sentences in a low voice so we actually don't know what is going on with mrs hale but we know it's bad and we kind of know that it's terminal yeah now yeah it's a great it's a great um sentence actually because yeah. it just it gets you everything you need to know yeah yeah exactly now i would say it's probably not consumption because the doctor does not encourage a change of scenery which was something that they prescribed for consumption so mm-hmm. it wasn't being moved to milton it wasn't like the move didn't cause it um it's not contagious because she isn't told to be put into quarantine so it's probably something like cancer mm-hmm. you don't know when it's going to happen but you know it's coming right and uh what the doc oh, i can't talk uh doc d as he's going about his rounds has these little thoughts to himself about margaret and i know a few people commented on it um on social media this week just saying what a queen she is and then that girl's game to the backbone he's really impressed by how mags took that and i think this scene is a really really speaks to her character because she could she really like she like leaves people with this very strong impression like bessie also has very similar thoughts upon leaving margaret and I mean, Thornton too, I imagine at this point. Well, she's just got this way of carrying herself, which is just, it's, I think it's because she's calm. She isn't prone to hysterics. That was obviously a popular term of the time. So, Mm -hmm. you know, she's not, she's not fainting. She's not crying. She's just carrying herself very calmly. She takes it in and yeah, she's like horribly upset by all of this. And she almost faints, but she doesn't. She like, rallies she's got strength to her and i think that it's really shining through and people are noticing it Mm -hmm. Uh, margaret does make the decision funnily enough to not tell her dad how bad it is at first she thinks she's gonna like slowly let him know and as far as i'm concerned the hails can hang because they are they are (laughs) all just carrying on the family tradition yeah it's like the family tradition keeping secrets terrible yeah 
Like, Fred's not telling anyone what's going on. Mags ain't telling anyone what's going on. Dad isn't. Yeah. Mum isn't. Terrible. It's just how they work. They are a Victorian hot mess. They are. So, uh, Margaret then rushes up to her mum, and there is this really lovely bit. It's in the strain of my favourite topic. So, she talks to her mum about how she was sent away, mm-hmm. and how she would just cry for her mum at night, and then her mum is... You know, they, it's time lost, isn't it? Like, she's got this illness, she's going to die. And all Margaret can think about is the 10 years that she wasn't with her mum. Yeah. And there's a bit later on where Margaret uh, kind of thinks to herself about how when she was with her aunt, sure, she would trace her mother's likeness in her aunt's features. Like, she really, really loves her mum. She really missed her. And then Mrs Hale admits that she was almost ashamed that her daughter would start comparing her life at Harley Street to her life at home in Helston. Yeah. So I think that's where some of that anxiety about their situation is coming from. It's not just that she wants nicer things. It's that she knows her daughter, like her child, is accustomed to a sort of life that she can't give her. That That is the sort yeah, of shame totally. that's deeply rooted. Um, yeah. And yeah, and I, what I, what I love about this is that I think this is actually getting into something that I wish Austin would get into a bit more. She alludes to, um, in like Northanger, the whole thing where, you know, you go off and then you're ruined for the life that you come back to. And then this is showing it from the mum's perspective, like how much that hurts, Mm -hmm. knowing that your child might look down on you because of it. And it happens in Vanity Fair. Oh, it's a big thing. Love it. I should write a book about it. Um, Dixon and Margaret kind of make peace with each other, which I thought was really cool as well. Because um, basically, Margaret says, like, I want to be the one that looks after you. You keep just squirreling yourself off with Dixon and just doing stuff with her. I should be the one that looks after you. I'm your daughter. I can't play second fiddle anymore. Like, there isn't enough time. You have to let me be the one to do it. And she says to Dixon, like, I will be quiet. I will be patient. I will learn. Like, I know you're the best person to do it, but I am her little girl. Like, I've got to. Mm -hmm. And then Dixon has this realization that she she's always loved mrs hale like basically from the minute she saw her she's always loved fred because he was the firstborn and in that moment because margaret reminds her so much of fred she just she can't help but just be like these are the best three people i would have loved mr hale but he didn't love mrs hale enough he was always thinking and reading and he wasn't putting her first and so um, she says the rest be hanged for I don't know what they're in the world for like she likes three people and that is it and, and that's like the first time we get something from Dixon too I feel like she's is, been like yeah. a shadowy character the, like up until now and it's it's funny as well because again it's a servant's perspective and you don't get a lot of that obviously um, the Bronte books uh, that I've read so far are all governesses so it is like a kind of a different perspective to Austin books but you don't get any servants in Austin right so getting that point of view is yeah it's really interesting and just like how attached as a servant you could be to your family like she's crossed Mm -hmm. between like she isn't a strict servant she's like a sort of member of the family right so then chapter 17 is what is a strike now if anyone does not know the answer to this question by the end of this book, I'm just going to beat you around the head with it because I feel like they cannot stop talking about this strike. It's oh true. Oh my gosh. 
It's you, really looming. I can't wait to get it over with. Right? Just bring me the strike. I feel like I'm not smart enough. Like, I don't, I don't really understand what's going on. And so you've got these big conversations between characters. And I'm just like, tell me about dinner and tell me about smooching. And then I feel really stupid and like... It's true. Every... Oh, I don't know. I feel like I've learned something about myself. <laughs> well, there should be a little bit of small talk peppered in. Yeah, it's it's dense. It feels like Middlemarch talking about all the politics. Just like, yeah. oh my lord, I just don't understand. So in this chapter, Mags goes to visit Bessie. She's really worrying about the strike because her dad, Bates, Nicholas Higgins, um, he's like one of the lead men in it. Like people just keep coming to him. And he's like, stick with the union, stick with the union. Don't do anything. Just like, we can get through this. And he's like really trying to push it forwards. And so Margaret and Bates then get into the conversation about um, like, what is a strike? Like Margaret says to him, like, what is a strike? We don't have them in the South. And then he says to her, it's because men in the South don't have enough spirit. Yeah. And then, it's because they're just like, you know, fucking around and living on their daddy's money and like some, reading poetry. But we're talking about farmhands. We're talking about people that are working the land, not yeah, not gentle folk. True. And Bessie's like, oh, I'd love to live in the South, away from the heat and the noise and the oil and the smoke. And then Mags has to point out to her, like, there are sorrows to bear everywhere. It's not just in the North and in the South. Although it might seem different to factory work, you have to be outside working in the fields, rain or shine, you age really fast and then you're still expected to work. So like it isn't, it isn't just super nice in the South. Like it's bad everywhere. But this was one of the moments where I got a little bit like, again, like where her friendship with Bessie like annoys me because I'm just like, Mags, give her a break. Like breathing in the fluff, like like, is killing her. So you know what? Also, she's this, never seen this the woman sea. should see the sun. She hasn't she hasn't left anywhere. Like you don't need to tell her that the rest of the world is shit. Like she's never gonna yeah, see exactly. the south of England. Let exactly. her Exactly. You know, maybe like you're lying to your dad about your mum dying. Like let let Bessie Higgins think that the South is really nice. Exactly. But it's it, she's she's this. defensive, isn't she? She doesn't want people to think she that is. life where she's from is soft. It's true. That's true. So, um, one of the reasons that this chapter is interesting, and I'm saying that with bunny is, uh, you you get the worker side of the strike. So we've started to get it from like Mr. Thornton, but we kind of get a real idea of why the workers are striking. And like I said earlier, uh, food's getting more expensive. Not only are they not getting a pay rise, but the mill owners are actually going to cut their wages. So they're going to be getting yeah. less money. And so some people are living on six, 16 shillings a week, which isn't, it isn't enough. And then some families, uh, there's a character that we're going to meet. He has eight children and a sick wife. And yeah. he's trying to feed them all on the strike I mean. pay. And they're like, they're starving to death, basically. So, right. you know. Um, and then Bessie is like, oh, dad, don't smoke in the house. So the dad's like, all right, off I go. And then Bessie then gets all stressed out and is like, I shouldn't have told him that because now he's going to go and smoke not in the house and then he's going to take up drinking and then he's going to be drunk all the time and then margaret's like does your dad drink she's like well no but you know how men get and then kind of gives you the talk about if you if you 
stamp people down so much you don't really leave them anything else like they've only got the drink left they've only got the pub to go to and spend a few hours not thinking about their starving children or the fact that they Mm -hmm. can't afford to fix their roof or you know they no one has a choice and then Bessie kind of implies that Margaret wouldn't know anything about it because she's got nothing to worry about and then Margaret says to her well actually my mum's dying and yeah everything's shit so (laughs) yeah (laughs) she does make her promise to not tell anyone but I think it's I think it's nice that yeah, she she feels like she can confide in Bessie. I don't well, yeah, think she's kind of just almost like, like finally becomes like a two way street, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and at, at one point maybe it is even that chapter, but um, there's a point where Margaret says to Bessie like, "Oh, this visit has done me good." Yeah, exactly. And then and then Bessie's like, "Oh, imagine me doing someone like you good," and it's just like, yeah, like. They kind of they're they're both getting something out of it, and I think that's the important thing. Like they both have to to get something out of it for it to not be that patronizing. Like right, I think this is the first relationship. This is like the first visit where that actually happened. Yeah, yeah. And Max like Max gets angry with Bessie. She's like, "Stop it! Like, leave me be." So chapter eighteen: likes and dislikes. Margaret goes home and there is a note for her mother and a letter and a gift from her Aunt Shaw. So her Aunt Shaw sent her like some little ornaments and a letter. We don't see the letter. But the note for her mum is inviting the Hales to a dinner party. Now yeah, things for the Hales. Finally, a dinner yeah, party. Finally. This is what I'm here for. Social yes. entertainment. Please. But uh, stuff at home is a bit wobbly at the moment. So the dad, who's finally realising that stuff is serious, is too distracted by her mum being sick to really pay attention to what's going on or, like, her aunt's letter or, you know, and he's kind of like, oh, maybe she'll feel better and she can come to dinner. And it's like, obviously not. She's really sick. Stop being right. an idiot. And Mrs Hale, because she knows that she can't go and she probably won't ever go to another dinner party again just starts obsessing about what Margaret's going to wear. And she's like, try it all on, try it all on, try it all on. Not that one. Do that one. Stop messing around. And she just kind of goes into bossy mum mode. So I thought that was really sweet. Mm -hmm. And then something that made me not like Mr. Hale so much was that he he's going to go and give a lecture and he decides to do it on ecclesiastical architecture. And then it literally (laughs) says after that, like nobody cares about ecclesiastical architecture other than Mr. Hale, but they're just grateful that he can go and talk to them. So, like, he is a man that is just, like, he is in his own world. Yeah. I get it, people. Yeah. Okay. Don't need to come at me anymore. I get it. <laughs> He's a bit blinkered, isn't he? He just sees what he wants to see. Yeah. So then we cut to the Thorntons, who are obviously discussing the Hales, because if it ain't the strike, it's Mags. That they're yeah, seriously. About. Well, she's so, something new in town, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, she's trying to get with their their golden boy, of course. So, hot hot gossip. So yeah, so Mister Thornton is trying to get across that Missus Hale is really sick, but Missus Thornton is just like, nah, she can't be that sick because Mags and Dad are coming over for dinner. So right. she's just being like, she's just being rude. She's just slighting me. 
And then uh, Mrs. Thornton, she just can't help but say to Mr. Thornton, like, um, oh, yeah, I was talking about you with that Margaret girl, actually. And then, so this bit is the bit that felt a bit like a Pride Precious fiction, mainly in just that, like, so it's like what happens in the Laurence Olivier uh, Pride and Prejudice adaptation when you get the bit afterwards where Lady Catherine de Bourgh is talking to Mr. Darcy. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like in, in Pride and Prejudice, you want to hear like what's the end what result she... of that conversation because she just leaves and you don't yeah. you don't see Catherine de Bourgh again. So in this, you get a first person account from Mrs. Thornton saying, she laughed in my face. I liked the girl for doing it so frankly for it made me sure she had no thoughts of you and the next minute she vexed me so by seeming to think, well, never mind. Like, did he pick up on that? Because he doesn't seem to respond to it, you know? Yeah. He responds to the general idea of what they're talking about, but he's not like, wait, what did you say, mum? Did you say that I've got hope? I think he's just kind of like dismissing his mum in this way, like... Yeah. Because I'm sure she... um she must see perceived slights in a lot of people's behavior. Yes. Not just yeah, Margaret, she's right? I'm that, sure like, that, that is yeah, like yeah. a defining character trait. Definitely. And I'm wondering if he is so used to this that he almost just tunes it out. Yeah, he's just like, oh, mom, come on. Here yeah. she goes. Yeah. And she, she just really doesn't like that Margaret is like giving herself these airs and like sticking up to her son. And she, like she says, when... Uh, when I hear you talking about her, I don't mind her so much. And then when I see her giving herself airs, I hate her. Like she tells him, I hate yeah. her. Yeah. Like she feels really strongly about it. She's, what I she's really love about Mrs. Thornton though, that comes out in this chapter is that she can keep pace with her son when he is talking business. Like mm-hmm. she is on it. His business is her business. Like she has raised him to do it himself, but she knows that it's in her interest to know what's going on. Yeah. And I love yeah, that. Absolutely. And so they're talking mm-hmm. about the strike and they're talking about what can be done. And she's asking him questions and like she's engaged. And we get from that that it's the reason that business has been rough is because Americans, Lauren, Uh-oh. are selling their yarn in the UK more competitively than they can. So they have to slash their prices because the there's... The market is flooded by this American produce. Yeah. And that is why. So, watch out. That's, that's and what happens, it, guys. It is what happens. And so what Mr. Thornton's going to do is he's going to give the strikers two weeks and then he's going to start hiring people from Ireland. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's going to use them instead. Yeah. So then he's in chapter nine... Huh? He's a man with a plan. He has got a plan. He has got a plan. He knows what he's going to do. So in the next chapter, Angel visits. Mrs. Thornton um, has got uh, Margaret trying on all the dresses. They decide that she's going to wear a white silk dress that she wore to Edith's wedding. Margaret then goes to visit Bessie. And Bessie is super shocked that Margaret is going for dinner at the Thornton's house, which I thought was really funny because <laughs> Bessie is just like, you're who, poor. Who are like, you? <laughs> what's going on? Like, are you are you gonna when have Bessie's something eyeing to wear? Margaret's dress, like, yeah, uh... she's just like, uh, you you don't have anything to wear. And then Margaret's kind of laughing at her, like, it's really nice of you to worry about me, but don't worry because she's obviously used to London. Like, yeah. people don't know about people don't know London, Margaret. They just know Milton, Margaret. Right. 
So then Bessie um, kind of, after Margaret tells her she's going to be wearing this white silk dress, Bessie's just like, I had a dream that I saw you. You're an angel. And then Margaret's like, (laughs) stop it. I don't like it. You're going to upset me. Like, I don't want to hear about it. And then the topic gets on to starving babies. Yes. And there's no light conversations here. No, no. Very quickly comes back to the starving babies. So isn't it awful that they're going to be having this feast while all of these people clem, is the word? Those babes clemming. And like, Bessie is saying like, don't, I don't begrudge you. It's because like, I know that there are some people that are predestined to, to go out for dinner and to eat all of this fine food and to wear nice dresses. I'm just not one of them. And then yeah. Margaret's like, I don't think that's true. And so they, they're kind of having this theological debate about are people predetermined to have a good life and some people are predetermined to have a bad life. Yeah. Which is a hard thing to argue with Bessie, I think. Just again, because it's like, I mean, how could you change Bessie's mind? She can't. She's not. Yeah. She's just not in any kind of position to do it. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> I just feel so badly for Bessie. Just that, you know, because like the thing that makes me so sad about her is that she just wants to go out. Like She wants to see the sea. She's like, I've never even seen the water. Like, yeah. I just, she just I need wants to get to out of here. But I'm going to die. So badly. So badly. And like, so and- does Margaret. But like, Margaret, like, doesn't even get it. <laughs> no, I know. She can't, can't comprehend. But what's really sad as well is that I think in the last chapter as well, Mr. Thornton is like thinking to himself, it's really awful that we're having this dinner party. But, like, mm-hmm. social conventions don't give me a choice. This man's coming into town. I right. have to do it. Like, we have to. Right. It, it's what is expected of us. And he's like, it's terrible to be doing it during the strike time. Like, it shouldn't be happening. So, like, people are aware, but every, everyone is just trapped in yeah. this book. Everyone is just completely trapped. Yeah. Um. So then Margaret goes home. Because, basically, this whole book is just Margaret going home, going to Bessie's, going home, going to Thornton's, going home, going to Bessie's. It's like a ping pong table. Mm-hmm. She goes home. Thornton's, obviously comes by the house and they start talking um, about, well, he takes her aside and he's like, listen, I'll do anything I can to help your mum. Like, there's nothing that, uh, I've got all this money. Like, my mum's got loads of stuff. Just let us know if you need anything. But then he starts talking about the strike and he starts talking about the working classes and about all of their situations. And Margaret really struggles here. I think yeah. she really wants to like Thornton, but there are these two men. Like she's she sees two men. So he knew all. She saw it in his pitying eyes. She heard it in his grave and tremulous voice. How to reconcile those eyes, that voice, with the hard reasoning, dry, merciless way in which he laid down axioms of trade and serenely followed them out of their full consequence. She can't like business Thornton and the Thornton that's helping her with her mum are just Mm -hmm. at odds with each other. Well, it's too much, like, right after, like, just juxtaposed with, you know, Bessie. She's just come from their house. Like, it's too much. I'm with, I'm actually with Margaret here. I'm with Margaret there, but you know what makes it even worse? In the same chapter, she literally goes back to Bessie's house. Yes, that's right. It's like, 
it's I remember when I was writing the notes for this, I was like, man, I've got a chapter here. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Like, how do I keep this concise? She's just running back and forth. So she goes back to Higgins's house, and now there's another person there called... How do you pronounce it? Boucher? 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 Yeah, Boucher? Boucher? Yeah, is that maybe how... Okay. Boucher. Let us know if you've got any ideas Let's how to say this name. So the long and the short of it is that this guy, Boucher, is at Higgins' house because he's the one with the sick wife and eight kids, and they're all clemming. Mm-hmm. And he's mad at Higgins to uh for telling him to hold off hold off don't go back to work don't go back to work stay with the union while his family is dying and so higgins empties this teapot full of money and gives it to boucher and it's just like we will help you as much as you can but you will ruin the entire strike if you go back to work right like you can't and higgins is just like you're the worst one of all like you're the worst and um margaret is like i've got to i've got to try and do something i've got to do something yeah so the next chapter, chapter 20, which I love the naming of this, Men and Gentlemen. Yes. Um, and I'll talk a bit about that kind of towards the end, but... I'm sure Mrs. Hale has a lot to say about that. Wait, does she? Well, just men and gentlemen. I know which category she'd put Mr. Thornton in. Man. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she would. But I think she shows herself in a good light in this chapter, you know? She does, actually. Mags goes back and then Mrs. Hale is like, hey, how's your friend Bessie? I want to send her something. I know she's sick. Does she want this wine? And Margaret's like, mum, she does not want any wine. She's got consumption. Are you (laughs) crazy? So then she tells her about Boucher. And then Mrs. Hale is like, you pack up a basket of food right now, young lady. Margaret's like, well, they've got all this money now from Higgins. So they don't really need it. And she's like, right now <laughs> you go downstairs and you send a basket to their house right now and then mr hale comes home and they're like boucher 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 so then he has to go and because the women were so adamant that it was awful he kind of turns up doesn't find it as bad as he thought it was going to be and then comes back and tells them it's even better than it was does that make sense i mean Mr. Hale. I don't even know. <laughs> Mr. Hale. He goes, he's like... There's eight kids yeah, the, and a dying wife. I don't know. The wife's upstairs. The kids are just eating what they want from this basket. And he's like, yeah, it's fine. It's like, I mean... I think by the end of this book, I might not be team Mr. Hale. Uh-oh. I, just, I, don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about this. <laughs> um, yeah. So then... Oh, did you notice as well that Bessie didn't visit... Mags. Yeah, yeah. Where is she? So Mags thinks to herself, so Bessie had said, oh, I really want to see you get dressed up for the party. And then Margaret's like, yeah, come by and you can see me if you're well enough. And she doesn't come. And so now I'm like, oh, maybe she is really, really sick. Yeah, you're like, well... Because, like, I know she is really sick, but, like, is it getting worse? Right? It's a warning sign. Bets are on. Who dies first? uh, Mrs. Hale or Bessie? (gasps) I shouldn't guess because I think I know the answer to this, but I I mean, I thought it was going to be Mrs. Hale for a minute, but I think it's Bessie. I reckon it's Bessie. Yeah. I can't remember from watching it <laughs> like three years ago. I reckon it's Bessie. So um, we then get some information about uh, the preparation for the dinner party. So this this is the chapter that the dinner party happens in. Mm-hmm. And there's this really great bit kind of talking about how Mrs. Thornton um, is getting ready for the meal. And 
what she wants is for there to be enough of every single course and every single dish for every single person at the table to have some of it if they want to. Yes. Whereas Margaret is used to, uh, in London, you know, you wouldn't like, you'd maybe get some of it if you were lucky, but there'd be lots of different dishes for you to choose from and she thinks it's more elegant. But Mrs. Thornton will not have someone do without in her home. Yeah. This was like my favourite bit, actually. I loved that. I was like, yeah, no yeah. one's going to go hungry at the at the Thornton's house. Like, they've they've come from that. Like, they lived on that porridge soup stuff for years. Yeah. And another thing that I really loved about Mrs. Thornton is that um, Mr. Hale is asking her, like, um, do you, do you not mind living so close to the factory? And she's like, no, I'm like, I want to I want to live in the mill yard. Like it. I can see what my son's accomplished. Like, I've got nothing to be ashamed of living here. Like, everything everything that you see before you is something that he has worked yeah. hard for. Like, I love it. Um, and then Fanny is like, <laughs> I hate it. Get me out of here. <laughs> like, straight comparison. She doesn't ever understand what they're talking about. She's bored by every conversation they have and she does not want to live near the factory. <laughs> she is done. Fair enough. You know what? <laughs> Fair enough, Fanny. Fair enough, Fanny. Yeah, I know. But like, it does, it does make me like Mrs. Thornton more. Yeah. She's really down with being a partner with her son now, you know, it's yeah, just like exactly. whatever, whatever it takes for his success and his like comfort and his happiness. Like she's, she's down. Now I'm going to give you a treat. Mm. I've got some really good lines about Mr. Thornton. Okay. Because he is babe in it in this chapter. He is. Isn't he? He's at his party he's all dressed up he's the man about town and he is painfully aware of margaret so you know i mentioned the whole handshake debacle earlier yeah so there's this line he shook hands with margaret he knew it was the first time their hands had met though she was perfectly unconscious of the fact Ooh, was she is she lying to me margaret (laughs) margaret does not know Mark, like Mr. So Mr. Thornton is Lizzie Bennett in this, right? Yeah. He knows. He knows. But Mag- Maggie was in the middle before it begun. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you so mean. Like, I know what you mean. He he can pinpoint it, but I don't know that Margaret's gonna she she's gonna be a bit murky. I'm just, I'm just shaking just my head at Margaret. I'm he just... definitely knows. Yeah. But she doesn't know that she knows. I'm just shaking my head at her. I'm just like, girl, get it together. And then there's another bit and it says, he never went near her himself. He did not look at her. Only he knew what she was doing or not doing better than he knew the movements of anyone else in the room. I mean, yes. That, God, it makes me pang for young love. Right? Oh, yes. And then Margaret herself, she can't help herself. She's like... Margaret thought she had never seen him to so much advantage. She, d- You know, it's a backhanded compliment because then she right. goes on to say that there was always something either of over-eagerness or vexed annoyance <laughs> about him every time she'd seen him otherwise. But she can't help but, you know, she's appreciating it. She's feeling Thornton in this moment. Yes, yes, she is. And I think she comes across as really well because, again, like like Mrs. Thornton, I, I think these two might not want to admit it, but there's kind of a kindred spirit thing going on because the guys are all talking business 
and she is listening. She doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. want to give an opinion, but what they're talking about means something. So every time that Fanny kind of draws her away to go and talk to the other women, she's being taken away from something that has value and has meaning to women showboating and like trying to impress each other. Right. And like, they're not talking about anything at all. Right. And then when Margaret and Thornton finally talk, this is the bit that ties in the chapter title. So they are arguing about the definition of Margaret's gentleman and Thornton's true man. And I think that is what Gaskell is doing in this chapter. Because she starts the chapter with Higgins and uh, Boucher. No, the last chapter finishes with Higgins and Boucher. Mm -hmm. And then this chapter finishes with the gentleman at the dinner party. Mm -hmm. And like the the two groups of men. And the two different perspectives. And I think it's just trying to make, you know, it's trying to make you aware of the fact that, like, this is a book of contrasts. There is no right or wrong answer. It's all all opinion. It's subjective. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And then there's a bit of a commotion between Thornton and Slickson and maybe some of the others. And he's like, I'm going to get these Irish workers. This is ridiculous. Let's get to work. I can't wait anymore. Mm-hmm. And then after Margaret leaves, everyone's just like, who's that girl? Who was she? She was a babe. Yeah, who was that? Who was that yeah. southern gal? Everyone's impressed. Mm-hmm. So I've got one last chapter. The Dark Night. And it is a very <laughs> dark night for them. Margaret and her dad are walking home. And then the dad says, you are quite prejudiced against Mr. Thornton, <laughs> Margaret. And then there's this, she like compares him to an olive. Yes! <laughs> I was like, hello. She's like, yeah, such he's a, just like, such he a is just like comparison. trying to eat an olive for the first time. Let me make a face while I swallow it. And I thought that was a great, like a great part of the bit. I think it's my favourite bit. <laughs> so they get back to the house and Mrs. Hale has had a particularly bad turn. So Dr. D is there already. Um, Mrs. Hale's just in the bed, like immobile. And I, I think it. I totally thought she was dead. When I was reading it, I was like, oh, this is, they like were out partying all night and then they came back and then she's dead. Yeah. And it's bad as well because Mr. Hale then turns around and says to Margaret that she was cruel for lying to him. I mean, you know, Kettle. Yeah. Kettle, Black, uh, this whole family, yeah, like yeah. they just need to stop. It's like, come on. So the doctor tells them all, um, she's out of danger now I think but one of you should stay up with her just in case something else happens Dixon, Mr Hale and Margaret all decide they're going to stay awake but then slowly one by one they will fall asleep and so it's just Margaret that's left and that's when she's thinking about you know when she's growing up and looking at her aunt Shaw's face so the next day they are discussing ways to make her more comfortable and this bit's bizarre Mr Hale's just like she could really use a waterbed Go and ask Mrs. Thornton if you can use hers. <laughs> so then, so then Margaret has to go to. I mean, Mrs. we can't Thornton's take him house. seriously anymore, can we? <laughs> He's trying to help. I'm sure, like, well, waterbed's a new invention. See, that Maybe was actually something I meant to research and then forgot. But uh, yeah, at that point, People, I was like, "What? What's this waterbed thing?" So Margaret, because she's a good daughter, immediately leaves. She's like, "I'm going to get this waterbed." And then as she's walking around, 
Uh, she doesn't notice it at first, but we, as the readers, notice every damn person who is meant to be working in a mill is in the streets. Yeah. They're getting ready for something. So, like, it's them, it's their families, there's this buzz. And she gets to Thornton's and they don't want to open the gate and then they kind of let her in. And then the last line of this chapter is, there was no sound, no steam engine at work with beats and pants, no click of machinery or mingling and clashing of many sharp voices, but far away, the ominous gathering rose, deep clamouring. The air is charged. And that's the end of the chapter. So that's it for this week. So imagine having, I mean, I closed the book at that point. I haven't read beyond it. That's tomorrow. Yeah, I haven't I either, actually. Haven't you? No, I don't know what's going <gasps> on, on anymore. On the same page. On the same page. Happening. That's a good, that's a lot of chapter. Yeah, there's like a few chapters that you had where like, I feel like nothing happened. And then you had a lot. You had a dinner party and you had this. <laughs> I a mean, lot. a lot I happened. It wasn't, I really loved reading it. The, the difference is that um, when I read it, I was like, cool, this is good. And I had a really long coach journey, actually from the north to the south of England. Nice. Um, and like, I glossed over a little bit of the Bessie stuff and I glossed over a little bit of the strike stuff, uh, which I think I'm going to have to go back and reread. But then when it came to writing the notes, I was like, there is so much happening. Like, There's the, a lot. These are dense chapters. Especially angel visits where, you know, she bounces back and forth so much. It's like, ah, oh, there's so much to say. And it's all and so really important the bits, because it's all so well written. It's so well written. I mean, the bits that I am really loving so far are just, I mean, Thornton. Yeah. Checking out Mags. Great stuff. The dinner party stuff. There yep. is a lot of politics, which I enjoy, but you know, I would, I am, I am a superficial gal. I would like a little bit more glitz and glam. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. But you know, it can it's be all a bit go- heavy. It's a, it can be a bit heavy, but it's all good. I'm really loving the book. And but you um, guys are rising are... to the challenge. Hmm? The listeners. Oh my God. They are throwing some great, great comments our way in the Facebook group and on NS Bonnets on Twitter. So let's get into a few of these. Um, So many good thoughts this week. One that like jumped out to me right away was uh, something that Carolyn said in the Facebook group. And she said, um, thinking to a lot of books from this era, I have to wonder how many of them actually even mention suicide. So this is something I've been thinking about during this entire recap and really wanted to talk about. Um, it's less taboo now, but even in modern times, it's something that people have strayed away from discussing or mentioning. I'm fascinated by how accurate Gaskell is with its use, though. Thornton's father is the first mention of suicide, and later we revisit the subject a bit further. Um, so yeah, the the suicide is is shocking, but then it's like not in the book. <laughs> yeah. I like well, the way it's handled. Um, we don't really dwell on it. No. And um, it's just a sort of matter of fact. Thornton's father had a lot of gambling debts. Um, he killed himself. Um, we can only imagine like what Mrs. Thornton was put through when that happened. So yeah. I do understand why she's like constantly on the defensive and just, you know, and is almost wants to cut people before they cut her. I'm sure she's still think like she's still not over it. She still thinks people are like, you know trash talking her judging her yeah she she doesn't want anyone to she doesn't want anyone talking about her yeah she doesn't i'm with you on that one 
yeah. So I think, you know, the suicide really um, gives you a lot of like backstory to, to really Mrs. Thornton's character. And it is, I mean, you know, yeah. It, yeah. So it's handled really nicely in this. And um, it's something that I'm sure Gaskell came across a lot, especially as, you know, a minister's wife too. Like, yeah, this is, yeah, it's heavy, heavy stuff. Um, and it, it will, I do know it will come up again. So we're going to yes. have the suicide discussion later on. Um, another thing that Jill, or sorry, not Jill. Another thing that Jennifer Grantham said that, of course, you spotted as well, is she said Mrs. Thornton versus Lady Catherine de Bourgh. Discuss. CDB. <laughs> well, um, yeah. I mean, so as Jen said, Lady Catherine de Bourgh's dislike stems from wanting to maintain class structure. And Mrs. Thornton is motivated by this, you know, fierce maternal love for her son. So, yeah, um, yeah, they're both women that I really, I really enjoy. <laughs> I don't yeah. think they'd ever interact. No, of though, course not. Because, you know? because CDB is totally above, do you know? Yeah. Like for her, she would see that as really lowering herself. She would. And I she actually would, think she weirdly, would condescend. I, I think that Mrs. Thornton even would like respect that or was she wouldn't even want to be put in that position. Yeah, she just wouldn't. She wouldn't give she, it the time of the day. I no, think. no, they would never. They would never in a universe meet, unless it was Pride and Prejudice and Zombies CDB. <laughs> in which case, then those two. In which case, I reckon they've arm wrestled. Who won? Oh, I bet I want everyone else to decide that. Oh, okay. I don't know. You don't know. I bet. Who Mrs. do you Thorne's think stronger? Physically, Mrs. Thornton. She's physically stronger. Yeah, but Pride and Prejudice, CDB. But I think she's probably a little bit more vulnerable than Lady Catherine, yeah. to be honest. You're probably right. Mentally, so. Mentally, Mentally. Yeah. It's a It's a hard call, though. But they're both women that, like, I enjoy them and I want to see more of. Yes, please. I'm just living for Mrs. Linton. <laughs> have I, how many times have I said that this episode? She's oh, the my best. Gosh. And then um, Library Mary said, I'm interested in Margaret's developing friendship with Bessie Higgins, the sickly mill worker. I haven't gotten to chapter 20 yet, so I'm probably missing some important information. I wonder if this relationship is making Margaret aware of horrible working conditions in the mills and how that will affect her character development. I also wonder how it will affect her interactions with Mr. Thornton. So, and is this going to open her eyes to injustice? So, yeah, it definitely is. I mean, I, yeah. I think we we it already we has so much. It has, hasn't yeah. it? It's Bessie is the device. Yeah. Um. And yeah, you guys know I'm a little bit troubled by their friendship. I just want it to be a two way street. I just want Margaret to like, I don't know, not be lording it over somebody. Maybe we're being unkind to Margaret. Maybe we are. <clears throat> it's true. Um, and then Louise Logan compared Mrs. Thornton to Gemma Collins from The Only Way is Essex. <laughs> and now I'm obsessed with Gemma Collins. And I should have been researching, but I was just like watching supercuts on uh, YouTube of Gemma Collins and like trying to do the accent. I can't watch I can't watch Towie because I watch Made in Chelsea. I don't have enough time in the day. Oh, Too much of my week is spent watching Made in Chelsea to also watch The Only Way is Essex. So, yeah, I, I also was a Made in Chelsea girl. 
Um, so this has been my first exposure to The Only Way is Essex. And I want to know why Jim Collins is not like more famous in your country. Like she should have her own show. Well, I'll tell you why. Why? Because uh, societal beauty norms in, inflicted upon women. Rude. Right? Rude. Me. I like it. <laughs> I'm not rude. No, society. British television is rude. Oh, okay, cool. Thank you. But like that, that would be, that would be it mostly, I'd say for the most part. Well, get this girl on another reality show. I, maybe she should get married and like move to Cheshire. She'd be great on The Real Housewives <laughs> of Cheshire, which is my favorite show. Oh my show. gosh, you love a housewife. Oh, Moving swiftly on. <laughs> I love a housewife too. Um, So over on Facebook, uh, Louise was comparing North and South to Hard Times by Charles Dickens. Yeah. Uh, Charles Dickens? <laughs> Charles Dickens. Uh, but was saying that overall she finds Gaskell to write characters that are much more rounded. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was a, a nice observation that perhaps uh, we are getting both sides of the mill workers and the mill owners stories that maybe you don't get in uh, in Charles Dickens' novel. It's true. And, and then, I, I, you know, I hate Charles Dickens. I'm just going to say it. Great Expectations is hilarious. I love that book. I'm not a fan. Um, but uh, we will do a whole episode called Lauren Hates Charles Dickens. Okay, that sounds great. So I'm glad to hear that this is better than Hard Times. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. Not surprised. <laughs> and then uh, the last comment that I've got um, comes from Andrea. Now, I have... Uh, I've only got the second half here so um, Andrea's talking about realism and the conversational tone of the book and then went on to say and I loved this bit in chapter 11 Mr Hale tells Margaret I don't set him Mr Thornton up for a hero or anything of that kind reading that really hit home for me how Gaskell does such a beautiful job of writing these complicated three-dimensional characters that aren't necessarily following the hero archetypes but are still wonderful compelling characters that quote struck me on the reread in a way it hadn't before because i felt it resonated with the awesome discussions here and on the podcast awesome yeah i thanks andrea and that is my favorite thing about gaskell's writing honestly um yeah and i think what do you think about that because i know um there are sometimes when sometimes people do not like it when writers do not give you like a clear cut hero and a clear cut villain um, because it feels less safe or like, you know, yeah. less of an entertainment. It's more like, you know, then your brain has to do more work and then you have to like, like you get I think emotionally involved in a different way. I think what, what works for me in this is that... Um, it might seem like Gaskell is pitting um, Higgins against Thornton and that those are the two people that you're getting the grey from, mm-hmm. but it's it's literally every single character. Um, yeah. Boucher uh, telling Higgins that he's worse than the mill owners, you know. Like, Boucher is not just against the mill owners, he's against the union as well. Yeah. Mr. and Mrs. Hale are against each other. Margaret is against Miss, Mr. Thornton, Mrs. Like... Like everyone is, everyone is against everyone, and I think that's why in Gaskell's writing it's effective because she doesn't just have two characters, and she's like, these two people are the people that you can't tell who's good or bad. It's it's just so expansive. There hasn't yeah. been a single person who isn't an opposing force to someone else. 
and yeah. some and that person is an opposing force to someone who's an opposing force to someone like it's a web yeah it is a web it's a lot it's a lot to process so um i like i'm just really appreciative of everyone that's sort of like on this journey with us because it's a lot to read it's a lot to read and discuss yeah. every week i feel like we're back in school yeah it's it's great though um yeah i can't wait to read the next lot because i know what happens in the next chapter and i'm dead excited to get to it <laughs> Chapter 22. Chapter 22. All right, guys. Well, you have your assignments. Go forth. Read the next 10 chapters. And um, if you want to talk about those chapters, uh, what should they do, Hannah? Where should they go? You can find us on Twitter. You can use the hashtag NSBonnets to uh, put your thoughts and feelings and to read everyone else's ideas about the text. You can tweet uh, at Lauren at bonnets at dawn you can find us on instagram at bonnets at dawn you can email us bonnets at dawn at gmail.com and you can join our closed facebook group by searching bonnets at dawn in the little search bar and then we'll bring you in and then there is a thread each week where you can uh, argue with people about their it's opinions true. i'm really sorry Catherine, for arguing about mr hale with you this week <laughs> continuing it from last week <laughs> And we say argue, but it's such a gentle, lovely yeah. discussion. <laughs> it's it's all fine. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's so wonderful and respectful. <laughs> it's a safe space. It's a safe space.